On episode 11 of the San Diego podcast, New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler reveals his family's multi-generational obsession with ACDC, what it was like playing last year's Kaboo Festival, and why his new book is the alien meets 300 mashup we never knew we needed. All that and more is next. Hello and welcome to the San Diego podcast. I am your host, Dustin Lutzbike, and with me today is none other than Scott Sigler. Thank you for being on the pod, my friend. Thank you for having me on the show, Dustin. Appreciate it. Yeah, for uh, for our listeners who may not be totally familiar with Scott, uh, he's a number one New York Times bestselling author of uh, sci-fi horror novels such as Contagious, Pandemic, and his latest title, Alien Phalanx. Uh, he recently celebrated the 15th anniversary of the first episode of his own podcast. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't have enough going on, he also plays bass in Evan Diamond in the Library, who is also nominated for Best Pop at this year's San Diego Music Awards. You have a lot going on, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a lot. It's uh, I'm very fortunate to have built up this uh, creative life. I work creative creatively with the fiction all the time. And then my, uh, I guess I would consider that my day job. And then my, my own outlet away from the, the mental folks it takes to write a book is to go play bass for Evan in the library. So I'm, I'm loving it. When did you kind of start playing music? Did you start with bass or did you start with a different instrument or how did that come about? I started out, I'm a huge ACDC fan and okay. I had asked my parents for a guitar every Christmas since I was seven, I think. Mm. But my parents were very conservative and were very scared that the rock and roll would get me into the drugs. <laughs> Even though my dad is the biggest ACDC fan I've ever met. He was like, well, that's great to listen to, but that's, that's not for you, young man. <laughs> and then I finally, uh, I finally got a guitar after I went to college and I was uh, playing along and, and, and trying to progress. And then I saw the, uh, the video for Mr. Biggs addict, Addicted to That Rush Bass player's name is Billy Sheehan. Oh did yeah, all kinds of stuff I'd never seen on a bass before. Yeah, and I was like, "That's the coolest shit I've ever seen." And I was like, <laughs> "I was in." So swapped out the guitar, got a bass, been playing bass ever since. It is uh, very much my instrument. I can play. I can noodle along on a guitar a little bit, plunk mm. out a few things on a keyboard, but uh, bass is my home. I love it. That's great. Uh, you know, there's not. It's funny because I started out on guitar and I played guitar for a long time, and then kind of out of necessity, I started playing bass. You know, in mm-hmm. uh, in a band that that I started, and um, uh, actually in one of my bands, I started playing like. Uh, guitar that had like a kind of a bass uh, octave lower thing kind of going through it. Okay. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of doing both of those roles. And then eventually I ended up joining a band where I was just the bass player, you know? And so it kind of, it kind of went from guitar to like kind of guitar and bass and then totally to bass because bass is so fun. And I think a lot of people don't realize how one, how fun it is and two, how crucial it is to a song. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, bassists don't get quite as much love as they maybe should, you know? <laughs> and I, I think, I think that's okay. I'm, I mean, obviously the singer gets the most attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, cause if you don't have a, if you don't have a, a good singer, you know, or an entertaining singer right. and you're dead in the water and then, and then you get the, uh, I think guitarists make fun of bass players because they're jealous. They're not the singer. So they got to pick. <laughs> pick. Meanwhile, the bass player is like, man, I'm just having a good time. Happy to be at this gig. I'm happy to be here. Great. 
<laughs> I love you guys say whatever you want. I'm going to ball. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very strange because even though it's kind of the, in my opinion, it's one of the cruxes of the song is, is the bass part. Uh, but it's also, it's not flashy. So you can kind of hang back and you, and it, it, there's not as much pressure. I've never felt as much pressure uh, mm-hmm. versus when I play guitar in a band, you know, and uh, I always kind of appreciated that about it. Well, I, I get into trouble with my band because I'm very much a showman and, mm. you know, heavily inspired by Angus Young and other, other great performing prints, great performing guitarists. So when I get on stage, I'm, I'm putting in all the work to make sure people are getting a good show. But sometimes that can, that can take away from the absolute precision you need to be a really solid rock outfit. So that's a, a fine line I have to dance, but I'm Definitely not the guy who stands in the back and just nods his head. We're we're trying to put on a pretty good show every time we show up. You are uh, you are most likely a much more entertaining bassist than I am. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I did. You know, we have a little segment on this show uh, called the First Four, and we were just talking about uh, when you started playing music. So I think it's a good time to uh, ask you uh, uh, four questions about the firsts in your life. Okay. What was the first band or artist that you remember that you truly like just fell in love with that you were obsessed with? Uh, that would have to be ACDC. My okay. dad was a, is, is a big fan and uh, way back to, you know, the jailbreak album playing when I was a little kid uh, and following that all the way through high school. And we had a weird culture and we were, I'm from a very small town in Northern Michigan and uh, football is the religion there. It's more important than politics, more important than <laughs> everything. And my dad was the coach and he was, uh, got a, he's got a psychology degree. He's very big into using music to motivate. So every year there would be a theme song and almost invariably that, that theme song was ACDC and that would be played, you know, over the PA in, the, in high school and everyone in town became these huge ACDC fans. And of course it, people everywhere are ACDC fans, but it was... Uh, <laughs> It was kind of an obsession in, in our town. Like yeah. everyone in high school knew every lyric to every, it was in it. Wow. It was so pervasive. It transcended other musical tastes. So if you liked dance music, only hated metal, you still loved ACDC. <laughs> if you like, if you like Sinatra and couldn't stand those kids in their rock and roll, the, you still loved ACDC. It was nuts. So <laughs> ACDC was definitely the first. What was the first album that you ever bought yourself with your own money? Skid Row, okay. probably the the first Skid Row was one of the first ones I bought, um, and uh, wore that out so bad I had to splice the tape. <laughs> the cassette tape. That's <laughs> that's how old I know it was a cassette tape. But I, it's really hard to remember. And then yeah. of course, like everybody who's deeply in music, once once you bought that first one, it was just that's what you spent all your available money on, right? Going out and getting more of that stuff. Um, what was the first concert that you ever went to? That also was a ACDC. Really? Yeah. Yeah. My brother uh, is only one brother, no sisters, and he's much more conservative than I am and uh, loves music, but wasn't as into it as I was. Hmm. And we had our, we're two years apart. So we had our various conflicts as uh, teenage brothers often can. And um, I had friends who were going to concerts. We had a place called Castle Farms in Charlevoix, which is up in Northern Michigan. And it was, it's the, the concert stop. Uh, for Northern Michigan. So you'll see Charlevoix on tour t-shirts all over the place. And I was not allowed to go to concerts. I was not allowed to go to parties. was not allowed to do any of that stuff that uh, both to protect me in their opinion. And it it is the, 
the coach was the coach of a small town and football coach of a small town in northern Michigan is more known than the mayor than anybody. It's it's a little yeah. nuts. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, they're like, I can't have you going to parties and have my son at these parties. That's going to reflect badly on the program. And I'm like, oh, you know, okay, whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, so I had never been to a concert, never been, literally never been to a party. And then my brother, who I was feuding with, surprised me with tickets to go see uh, ACDC. And I can't remember what tour, tour it was, but it was the same day as our graduation. So I walked onto the stage, got my diploma, shook hands with the principal, walked off the stage. My brother had the back door to the gym open. I slipped right out the back door and we went to the concert. <laughs> <laughs> I have no pictures from my graduation day. Oh, I have nothing because my brother snuck me away to uh, to go see ACDC and it was awesome. It was was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I, I bet. It was phenomenal. They put on quite a show. Yep. Um, that's great. Um, what the, the last question here is, um, what was your first musical guilty pleasure? Something that you didn't tell your friends about that you you really loved. Okay, let me, I got to think about it. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, uh, I think it was ABBA. I think really? that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause the, the, the general attitude of the social circle I ran with was there was, you know, Michigan hard rock, that kind of style, like Bob Seger, Ted Nugent, that stuff. Yeah. Then there was uh, metal and everything else was, was crap. And, <laughs> <laughs> but man, Abba can write a song. Holy crap. They yeah. got the big layered melodies and everything and everything they touch kind of turns to, to gold. So probably, probably them. And then, um, yeah, that, that was the, the biggest one. I saw that you got, uh, Evan Diamond in the library, you guys played uh, Kaboo. Uh, was it last yeah. year? Mm-hmm. How did that, how was that? What was it like playing Kaboo? Well, Evan's prominent enough having won a uh, best singer songwriter at the SDMAs, SDMAs in 2019. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's endorsed by Taylor and she's got a lot of cool stuff going on. And she's also a troubadour. She, she's played as many as 10 shows in a week. Oh, wow. She's played three shows in a day. She's a, a road warrior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's got some attention and we're not entirely sure how, but we got into the Kaboo Discovers contest. The, the, yeah, the contest. Yeah. Yeah, the, the contest. And that was a first, I think it was a, a voting round to from 10, 10 local bands to go down to five. And then I think five, the five bands played at um, at the courtyard in downtown East oh, Village in San right. Diego. Yeah. And, uh, you know, bands have good shows and bands have bad shows. And we got up there and just crushed it. It's oh. like clearly, I mean, it, it was watching, being on stage and watching Evan perform at that show. Even the people in the band were like, holy, <laughs> like this is, she's taking this to another level. And the crowd really resonated. And there were a bunch of great, great acts that day, but uh, we played well. And then Electric Mud came in and just slayed they yeah. they did a they yeah, brought in a good. ton of people high energy very very solid rock and roll and had a great time so both us uh evan diamond library and electric mud then got to go play at kavu i think we played on a saturday and electric mud played on the sunday or was a friday and saturday but uh man what a great time that was i've i've been in music for decades and i have never been to a place like okay here's your green room Wow. Here's four bars you can choose from where you don't have to pay for anything. <laughs> and I was like, of course, Evan, Evan has a rule, a, a one, a one drink rule for the band. Oh, that's before, smart. That's before very the show, smart. One drink and that's it. So I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like all these, 
all these free beer. And I'm just, okay, I'll have one beer. But uh, it was spectacular. And, you know, like um, we're hanging out at the, the food area and the Silver Sun pickups are there and there's all, oh, all wow. kinds of, uh, and got to meet them and just, it was hard to not be a fanboy during the process and yeah. try and pretend like I'd been there before, which I hadn't. <laughs> but uh it was and that they whew, what an organization that was they they had everything locked down it was great it was a, just an amazing time and i hope we get to do it again wow what well, you know it, it sounds really awesome and you know like it, it's it's i think it's really cool that kaboo does that for local bands you know there's not a there's not a lot of a lot of festivals that will book you know uh smaller local bands on their on their lineups you know there's um, it, there's and we were on a side stage that you know what we have not I mean, there was what, 2000 people watching that. It was just oh, like, yeah. it was nuts. Wow. It was nuts. And people who didn't know the music at all. And we, when we were there, uh, we were able to put on a good show and you know, you know what it's like if you're playing and people wandering around, start to gravitate toward the stage instead yeah. of just wandering around. You're like, okay, we're doing something right. So right, right. <laughs> it, was a, it was a super fun performance. We were very, we felt very fortunate to be there. Do, um, uh, you know, because you're such an acclaimed author, do do the junkies, as as they're referred mm-hmm. to, your fans, do they come out to the Evan Diamond shows? Well, the local the local San Diego ones do. Okay. Uh, Evan and the library have not been on any kind of a tour yet. We uh, the the Corona thing has kind of hijacked our current EP we've been working on for a while. Mm. So we hope to get on the road and do it someday. And if yeah. we do, I'm sure we'll get a good turnout in cities. I mean, I've yeah. had book tours where I can get 150 people to show up. So oh, wow. we expect we expect a lot of them to come out uh, and, and, and participate because I haven't been on book tour for a few years. So there's a lot of fans out there who would like, we'd love to see you again. When are you coming yeah. to Tallahassee? That kind of a thing. Right. Um, but they, since... Evan Diamond Libraries played the last two Sigler Fests, and that, you know, has about 125 to 150 people. We have a lot of my book fans who are fans of the band as well. Uh, and also, it's interesting that I've got a certain size fan base as a writer, and I sort of assumed, well, they'll all love the music because I'm in the band. And right. why, and that's not true because musical tastes are all over the so place. So different, yeah. Yeah. yeah, very different. So there's a certain segment of people who are like, yeah, the band's great. And a certain segment of people who just, you know, stay quiet and don't participate. Right. Like, you, should, you should be writing some more stuff now. <laughs> you're, you're letting the, you're letting the, the music uh, take you away from the writing. <laughs> That's, Get back to that work. is how they feel. That is how they feel. <laughs> but it makes me a better author to get away from the stuff uh, yeah. every now and then and think about cause something completely different. Tell me about, about your new book uh, uh, for, you know, I haven't read it. Um, what is it about? Well, it's a media tie-in with the Alien Aliens franchise, okay. which the movie Aliens, uh, the uh, James Cameron's Aliens, is the single biggest influence on all of my storytelling work. That movie blew me away. Uh, his his techniques of overlapping tension arcs and everything he did in that movie is kind of a Bible to me of uh, a constant reference point when I'm writing a book. So I got approached by Titan Books, who owns the the novel fiction license to the aliens franchise. Hmm. And they asked me if I wanted to write an alien book. And I was like, hell yeah, oh, I want to write wow. an alien book. Yeah. I've never written a media time before. I've never had any interest in it. Uh, you know, a lot of my contemporaries will write like star Wars book or something. And that's, those are awesome, but that's never been for me. Yeah. Um, but my favorite franchise of all time, my favorite movie of all time. And they came to me and asked me to do it. So what I did with aliens phalanx was I've read dozens of aliens novels in the the comics and seen all the movies. And there seems they follow a fairly predictable set of circumstances. Usually it is a small group of people who are dwindling as they get taken out by the aliens. 
they have to get on a ship and get away from a bigger ship and blow up the bigger ship or blow up the planet and try and destroy the aliens. Yeah. So I took it in a completely different direction. This is a um, pre-industrial culture and you don't know that planets called Atagena. You don't know much about them except that they have a big alien xenomorph infestation and they call them demons. They think they are these supernatural creatures that yeah. are out to kill them. Interesting. And the, the population explosion of the xenomorphs landing in a place with no guns, no, you know, no tanks, no organized military, it just devastated the culture. And now hum, the humans that are left are hidden away in these old abandoned mountain fortresses and they have to stay hidden. As soon as they get discovered, they're toast. And it is, uh, from that setting, it is a hero's quest of um, a character named Ahalia, who, ri- she's a runner because they have to be able to run medicine and supplies from one hole to the next. But once you're up on the surface, you are prey. So it's a a very dangerous situation. And they make the teenagers do all the running. So the Uh, grownups don't want to go out. So you have to do, (laughs) you have to do five runs. If you're a guy, 10 runs, if you're a girl before your obligation is complete. And Ahalia realizes that the human population is dwindling and they're about to be wiped out if they don't do something. So she has to find a way to fight against uh, a xenomorph horde with nothing but spears and shields. And it's kind oh. of nutty. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think I saw something online where somebody kind of referenced like a 300 meets alien kind of, exactly. kind of thing. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's, it's not exactly spot on, but it's a yeah. real good reference point. You know, you, you watch 300 and see the shield wall uh, and the Persian forces rushing up the shield wall substitute xenomorphs for the persian forces and substitute a bunch of civilians for the the 300 and you're you're in good shape wow that's very cool that's very cool um i'm i'm looking forward to reading that yeah i I hope you dig it yeah that's awesome i think it's time to play a little trivia what do you think about that you're good yeah i'm good all right uh, this is this game is called A or B side, and I'm going to give you three questions, and each one will have two possible answers. Okay. Each week, I come up with these questions with a particular theme in mind, and since we both play the bass, today's is all about legendary bass players. Cool. All right. Question number one. This game would not be respectable if there wasn't at least one question about the late, great Lemmy from Motorhead. In the 60s, uh, Lemmy was starting out and getting a taste of the rock and roll life with his first band when he ran into a guitar legend and became an actual roadie for him on one of his UK tours. Was it A, Eric Clapton, or B, Jimi Hendrix? Uh, I don't know. I want to look this story up. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess Clapton. It was Hendrix. It was, uh, Lemmy was, uh, had a buddy that was a roadie for Hendrix already. And he came on board and, uh, he was, Lemmy was responsible for hauling all his huge Marshall stacks around and his okay. buddy, his buddy handled the guitars. And, uh, according to Lemmy, he was paid 10 pounds a week and he worked two shows a night. Um, and he said he was also responsible for getting Jimmy acid while he was on the tour. <laughs> what a life. <laughs> All right. So uh, you're over one at the moment, but you still have two chances to, to get, come back. Get, yeah, get in the winning column. Uh, question number two. Let's talk Getty Lee from Rush. Okay. Rock legend, uh, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, rock and roll hall of fame inductee. Uh, 
rumored to have six fingers on his right hand, which would explain <laughs> why he can play so fast. Except that is not true. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what else is totally not true either? The name Getty is not his first name. It wasn't his first real uh, his real first name until he legally changed it after the band got really huge. Uh, when he was born, was his first name A. Edward, as in Eddie, or B. Gary. Oh, another one I don't know. <laughs> I'll I'll stick with A. <laughs> oh no! The correct answer is Gary. <laughs> his parents were from Poland, and um, his mother had a very thick Yiddish accent. So when mm. she called him Gary, it sounded like Getty, and it ended up sticking. Mm. Um, I should have been able to figure that out. <laughs> Are you a fan of uh, Rush at all? Is that uh, you listen yeah. to them? Any? Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. I'm. I. It took me a while to kind of get into them, and I think maybe a lot of me people, too. Yeah, me too. It, yeah. Initially, it was just not my sound. Yeah. But the more you play and then when you go check out, you know, the more you the more you play in the instrument and then the more you listen to Rush, the more you're like, that's really super cool stuff. Yeah, because it's so prominent in the mix. And again, it's a deviation from the music I largely grew up on where the bass has just a supporting role and it moves to sort of center stage with Rush. So they're very cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Okay, so you're 0 for 2 at the moment but you know what you still got one more chance to get to to get an answer in the winning column that's that's all that matters all right question number three the mastermind behind pink floyd roger waters Mm -hmm. is kind of in a league of his own uh in many regards uh while the band carried on without him for decades after he quit a lot of people like me still hold out hope for that one last big reunion Mm -hmm. um I actually didn't know this until I was doing my research, but the last album that he worked on for Pink Floyd was written and recorded nearly entirely without contributions from any of the other Pink Floyd band members. Okay. Was that album A, a momentary lapse of reason, or B, the final cut? You know what? Uh, I'm, I'm playing the statistics here. I'm going to go with A again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is the final cut, my friend. <laughs> my strategy right. was skewed. And my strategy was sound. I'm going to stick with one letter, <laughs> but it was slightly off. Uh, Over three. That's terrible. Oh, man. It's okay. It's okay. We don't judge you. That's all right. Um, <laughs> sometimes referred to uh, as Roger's first solo album, uh, because at that point, Richard Wright had already been fired from the group and Nick Mason couldn't play the drum parts well enough. So he was replaced in the studio mm-hmm. and David Gilmore hated the songs, So he played like a couple solos and then peaced out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know that. I really thought that that was like a, you know, a group effort and turns out it was totally not. <laughs> I did not know that. Well, here's something we do know about upcoming concert live streams. Our San Diego set list is next. As we all know, it's a whole new world out there for virtual performances. And here are the week's best reasons to live stream and chill. Sunday, May 3rd, is the day to visit Columbia Records' Instagram for a doubleheader featuring Diplo at 4 p.m. and John Mayer at 7 The next evening, Metallica continues their weekly series of streaming unseen VHS footage of entire concerts from past tours. Drop in on their YouTube page at 5 p.m. 
On Tuesday, Jay Balvin, Luis Fonzi, Gloria and Emilio Estefan, and others perform for Ava Longoria's Altissimo Virtual Cinco de Mayo Celebration. It'll be on her Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channels, as well as iHeartMedia radio stations starting at 2 p.m. And last, but definitely not least, hometown surf punk heroes The Frights, who you probably last saw tearing through the Spreckles Organ Pavilion in Balboa Park, take over Doc Martin's Instagram page on Thursday at 3 p.m. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on our on the podcast. Uh, I had a great time talking to you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, for our listeners, be sure to pick up Alien Phalanx wherever you get your reading material and visit scottsigler.com for news, info, and everything else related to the Sigler universe. Yep. For bonus notes on this episode, visit sounddiego.com and remember to check out San Diego TV on NBC7 on Saturday nights. If you're wondering what Scott's bass playing sounds like, you are in luck because our Spotlight Artist of the Week is indeed Evan Diamond in the library. All right. And we're closing out this episode with their song, Bad Guy. Not to be confused with Billie Eilish's Bad Guy, but it still holds its own. If you dig it, head over to evandiamondmusic.com to buy some merch or music or help support the band during these pandemic times. Either way, thank you for listening. I am your San Diego podcast host, Dustin Lutzbike. And until next time, stay safe and enjoy the music. <laughs>